of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight O Lord our strength and our redeemer Amen So I, I wonder what you think about the Billionaires Club started in 2010 by Bill and Melinda Gates worth 88 billion and Warren Buffet worth 74 billion the giving pledge is a commitment by wealthy individuals and families to give away more than half of their wealth to causes including poverty alleviation, refugee aid, disaster relief, global health, education, women and girls empowerment, medical research, art and culture, criminal justice reform and environmental sustainability. The Billionaires Club. If you were thinking of joining them, signatories of the Giving Pledge must be billionaires. Do introduce yourself to me at the end of the service if uh, that's the road you're going down. But, but as these very rich people disperse their fortunes, they will probably find out the truth that Christ taught that we read about this morning. That it is more blessed to give than to receive. That that's a, a dynamic of the human spirit. Regardless of where you find yourself in the financial pecking order, it is more blessed to give than to receive. A favourite book of mine, which I'd recommend, is called Happy Money, 
The New Science of Smarter Spending by Dr. Elizabeth Dunn and a fellow academic, Professor Michael Norton, which uses serious study and research to discover the guiding principles that will help you squeeze the most happiness out of your money. And one of the principles their researchers uncovered was that giving brings delight. Whether it's grandparents giving to their grandchildren, parents to their children, husbands to their wives, friends for their friends. The happiest money is money spent on giving to others. Giving them a treat or a thoughtful gift or a helpful donation. Helping someone out of a tight spot. Using money to make a difference in someone else's life. And using money in that way gives measurably and sometimes immeasurably more happiness than simply indulging ourselves all the time. That's a fact. And I think you probably know that's true from your own experience. It was amazing. Someone, it wasn't even in my last church but lived nearby, gave me £50,000 to spend... They set up a trust called the Channery Trust and they invited me to spend £50,000 in and around Dunbar on their behalf, making a difference in people's lives. They, they thought I had a sort of finger on the pulse and I would hear where needs emerge. And it was, a, I'll tell you, it was a great experience. We spread it over five years, gave it all away. It was like being Santa Claus for five years. We set people up on life-changing educational courses. We equipped a special sailboat for disabled people to go sailing on the local loch. We provided holidays for struggling single parents. We paid for the local radio station to adapt their studio so that blind teenagers could broadcast. We enabled patients on long-term mental health care to have a, a time away. Just too many things to mention using money to change things for good. And it was great being able to give those moments. I know it wasn't my money, but it, it was still felt great. It was better to give than to receive. And that's true as, in terms of service as well as finance. When my wife Lindy told me about how her weekends used to be when she was a teacher, a busy teacher, going away with girl guides... And scouts, it sounded like it was an exhausting way to spend a weekend. Finish school at four o'clock, go and collect a minibus, then go and collect the canoes and a trailer, and then go and collect the kids, and then drive all the way up to the highlands, and then take them canoeing all day Saturday, and then drive back on Sunday and deposit the kids, and then drop off the canoes, and then drop off the minibus, and then go home and collapse until you were ready to go the next day back to school. Exhausting, giving, giving, and yet immensely rewarding because relationships and friendships were made that were precious and enduring. You give the service, you receive the delights. And people who work in so-called service industries, they know that about giving compassion and care and skill and time. And we know that it's better to give compassion than to narrow your heart and harden it, keep it all to yourself. One broadens your experience of life, the other shrivels it up, diminishes it. 
narrow perspectives or broad perspectives. We know, and the experts are quick to tell us, that it's better to give time to your children rather than just throw something in their direction to keep them busy. Better for them, better for you, better that they're not seeing you as a parent on your screen all the time. No time for them. They want you to give you time. And and the same goes for our friendships too. It's amazing how quickly we get so busy that we have time to give to those friendships and those phone calls and those connections and those lunches that bonded us together with the people that we loved. And there's that haunting song, The Cats in the Cradle, which tells the story of a father who had no time to give to his son. No time. Busy son, can't make it. Can't go to the football with you. Can't go and watch you in the, in the school play. Busy, busy, busy. And then... When the son is an adult, the father's wondering if he's ever going to hear from him. The son's awfully busy. I'd come and visit you, Dad, but I'm really, I'm really too busy. No time to give to you. We also know how this works in Christian service. We saw it yesterday and the day before, and we see it all the time. People in the hard-nosed world of commerce, they say to me, what's it like for you working in the voluntary sector? And I said to them, I don't work in the voluntary centre. I work in the church. And we're all signed up for the voyage. We don't work in the church with volunteers. We work alongside fellow soldiers of Christ, servants of the King. And we do it because we're committed. And we're on board and we're on side. And dedicated to the purposes for which Christ came into the world. So we shouldn't scrabble around looking for volunteers for this or for that. We simply ask each other as fellow workers in the life of the church because we want to serve the king together and we're happy to give our time and our talents and our resources for the work of the kingdom. We say, is this your work? Is this your calling? Is this what you're meant to be doing? Is this the part you're going to play in the life of the church at this time? Because if it is your calling and it is your place in the service that you give, then freely give it. We're all crew on this boat. There are no passengers. And if our responsibility at the moment is to be someone who gives generously, because that's what we can do, then we will give. If it's to be one of those people, those precious people who turns up for things and is always there, then we will be there. If it is to do a particular job in the life of the church, then we'll do it. Because we want to make sure that the thing God has for us to do is the thing that we are doing. So here's the bottom line. The church is not run by volunteers, but by Christians. And our work for God is not optional. What we do when we feel like it, it's what we do when we belong to him. And because we understand what he has done for us, and we appreciate how crucial the work of the church is in a hurting world, and how people's story can be turned round when they follow Christ, then we will make what sacrifices are required to get things done, and we'll make the connections, and we'll make sure the groups are staffed and resources are there. I once took a service in Crathy Kirk, way up in the Highlands, right next to where the Queen uh, 
has her summer residence at Balmoral Castle. And all the folk who, who live in that area, and this was an old lady who'd worked there all her life, and she came to Livingdon Bar, and she died, and I was taking her funeral. And when she talked about it, you know the thing that really mattered to her was how great it was to serve the Queen, to be a servant of the Queen, and to do what she could to make things smooth and, and work well. She was just so proud of that. That's why people struggle out on a wet Tuesday to set up the salve for this meeting or that, or arrive early to practice with the choir, or visit an older person who needs support, or phone somebody up to see if they're okay after their accident, or invite someone to their home to build fellowship, or de- dedicates time to making the church fair a success, or makes Christmas dinner for 20 people on Christmas Day. People do these things, and much more beside. Because they are thrilled and privileged and eager to serve the king. And when you see it like that, it's no sacrifice. No sacrifice at all. We do it without seeking a reward or in the hope of gaining one. Like Ignatius Loyola, we say, to give and not to count the cost. To fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labour and not to ask for any reward save that of knowing that we do thy will. To do it for him. Just like that woman in the story we read. It, it became a bit of a legend, that story. In the village, they spoke about it often, that that incident, that crazy, wonderful moment, the impetuous gesture. And people remarked how suddenly and unmistakably and shamingly the smell of the perfume filled the house. It was a a moment of madness, it seemed, a, a strange impulse, a glorious giving, as she brought this perfume, a family heirloom, being kept for a special occasion and poured it out over the head and feet of Jesus. Challenging all the people around and their minimalist religion and their controlled faith and their white-knuckled grip on what they would never let go of, still less give to him. Limited love. Threadbare piety. But the woman, she let it go. And she discovered it was more blessed to give than to receive. None of that half-hearted stuff for her. None of that grudging stuff for her. No holds barred. Nothing ruled out. No sacrifice too great for him. Not the cold, stale leftovers. The kind of religion that dares nothing and keeps it all hunkered down and in. For her it was profligate and spontaneous. It didn't stop to calculate and do the sums. What's this going to cost me? People, people were shocked when they watched. It was, it was like giving your family savings to some passing tinker. The jar of perfume was an heirloom. Here it is now, poured out without reserve. Like a sweet, soothing caress on the forehead of the Christ who could hear the drumbeat of the green mile waiting for him. Calvary was coming. It was going to be unbearably hard. And here was somebody doing something beautiful for him and not counting the cost. 
When she looked back on it, I'm certain she never for one second regretted what she'd done. She didn't thump her forehead and said, what on earth was I thinking? Can't put the perfume back in the jar now. The deed is done. And she was glad that it was done. So there were three groups in that incident. The people watching, not sure if they could ever do that, give like that. And the woman, that one tender voice for the troubled Christ, doing something nourishing and sustaining and caring. And Christ himself, Amazed that here was somebody doing something for him that was costing so much. Something generous and thoughtful and beautiful. So when the crowd criticized her, he said, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Let history be the judge of where faith and love lies in this moment. Let history be the judge as to what it means to give your best to Jesus. See that it's true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And the sweet smell of the perfume filled the house. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.